Hello, Dave. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? <clears throat> Better since yesterday. Why? What happened yesterday? Well, yesterday they put in my new air conditioner, but for the past uh, week or so, I haven't had AC in my house because my air conditioner was 23 years old and had no refrigerant. That kind of defeats the purpose. That's the breaker kept tripping, and I um, called my dad, you know, because it's an electrical thing. He's an electrician, and he's given me a couple of ideas. And then I'm like, okay, you know, think about it. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to call the number that's on the furnace for the guys that installed it. And the guy's like, well, it's $105 an hour for us to show up. I'm like, that's fine, you know, just come take a look at it. You know, I'm hoping it's a five minute fix. And walk. Pulled in the driveway, walked up to it, went, it's 23 year olds, 23 years old and has no refrigerant. I'm like, okay, how do I get a new one? And he's like, well, let me get you a quote. Right. So yesterday they came and installed it, and now the house is not hotter than outside. Terrific. Terrific. And uh, what did it uh, what did it cost? Uh... For, for, for the visit in that case at $105 an hour. They did not charge me for that visit because they were only here for five what? minutes. And they knew they were going to get it? a lot more money when I buy the unit. Wasn't that nice of them? Service with a smile. There you go. Are we recording? We are indeed. Okay, we are recording. Um... It's it's uh, it's summer, which is not really uh, um, peak. Please hold for Dave Sim season. And uh, I decided, well, what the heck? It's, nobody's listening anyway. Um, I I I have missed doing my Walter Winchell voice that I was doing for the service in hell with a question mark, and missed doing uh, missed writing my Walter Winchell voice. Um, so here's my here's my Walter Winchell intro for Please Hold for Dave Sim, uh, August 2023. It's Manly MacDowell, the Ron Esler lookalike of the Baby Yoda generation, scrappy center for the Amok Amoks, and Wisconsin, Wisconsin's not one but count them two, two rivers testosterone-powered metaphysical counterpart to the vivacious, curvaceous, but genetically unrelated DNA. Delta November Alpha tests do not lie. Paula, the buck stops here. Loud and proud. I done it, and I'm proud I done it. You want to make something of it? Progenitor of come on, Take another little part of my adolescent heart now, baby, Janice Pearl. And prepubescent Malibu Barbie got nothing on me, Natasha. Robert Ray, ne'er-do-well, vice regent and residence and grandlord of Stately Dow Manor. And now here he is with Dave Sim. That's <laughs> uh, better than the intro I wanted to do. I was, I was thinking it would make a, it would make a nice business card, but it would be a very large business card, or really small type. Really small type. That's. I was thinking. I'm like, 
you know, I kind of want to do the opening of the uh, 70s Incredible Hulk show with, you know, Dr. David Banner and the whole thing. And I'm going, I don't think David get it. So, now nah, I, I think I'll let it go. But, no, yours is a lot better. <laughs> no, I would have absolutely no recognition of, uh, of the Hulk show. Uh, I only know that uh, that uh, Bill Bixby was uh, uh, was Dr. David Banner, and uh, he was uh, he was from my favorite Martian first of all, and then uh of Eddie's father. My favorite part, a couple please holds ago, or maybe it was just through a muck. Uh, no, yeah, it was through a muck. Somebody bought something, and his name was David. I forget the last name, but it, it sounded like one of the Bill Bixby. Because the deal with the Bill Bixby Hulk was he was David Banner, not Bruce Banner. Because as Stan Lee kept telling everybody the story, it was Bruce isn't a macho enough name. To which <laughs> uh, Stan would re reply, what about Bruce Lee? <laughs> oh, I never heard that one before. And, and then later on it was, and what about Bruce Willis? But so they changed it to David because Bruce Bruce was too effeminate, and so every episode he was David, and he he would use a pseudonym, and every single one of his pseudonymous last names started with B, like he was Bennett and Benning, and I'm trying to and like I, I went on the internet and found a list of them because the guy who bought whatever I'm like it I'm pretty sure he was a a, a David Banner alias. And I looked, and I was, I was surprised. Nope, it was it was not one. It was close, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't exact. And I emailed him, and he's like, "Yeah, I haven't heard that since I was 12. And I'm thinking, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment. <laughs> Probably a little of both. If I if I had to guess, if I had to guess. Okay, uh, as you've written here, uh, I believe it's your turn to reminisce about Siler. It, uh, it is indeed, and uh, long-time listeners will remember the cliffhanger that, uh, that I left on this one, uh, which was the, uh, the karaoke bar um, reopened in um, uh, Minneapolis uh, during, during lockdown, and uh, this is... Uh, uh, the more I try to tell this story, the more I go, uh, this is all pretty uh, idiosyncratic Dave Sim thinking stuff. So uh, uh, I'm going to have to go like just a bit at a time. So mm -hmm. the, the karaoke, karaoke bar reopening and Jeff uh, making a point of it to me and Jeff being uh, himself an exception in the sense that uh, of uh, the Cerebus readership that I have and that I had at that time, um, Jeff was my most frequent uh, phone correspondent in terms of uh, leaving phone messages. So uh, that's, that's one of those, when you live the kind of life that Dave Sim has lived and that Dave Sim is living, uh, all of these things take shape as, well, okay, this, this is what makes this thing distinct from that thing. 
This is what makes this other thing distinct from these other things. That's what I watch for is uh, one of these is not like the other. So it's sort of calling attention to itself in that sense. So the, uh, the frequency of um, phone messages that I would get that started, uh, Dave, it's Jeff. And then Jeff would go on to <laughs> basically be annoying. Or, or at least uh, uh, sometimes irritating. Most of the time, uh, he, he had sort of a, an annoying edge to him. But I just didn't, I didn't, didn't give it, uh, didn't give it any toehold with me. But I was always aware. Uh, okay, Jeff Seiler is uh, is the exception to uh, to my readership, who are uh, usually very, very, very good about. Uh, about leaving me alone. It's uh, if I if I I'm going to phone and leave a phone message for Dave Sim to make sure that I have something that I really think Dave Sim needs to know, not something that starts Dave. It's Jeff. So uh, coupled with the karaoke bar reopening, which already we were in. A year into, in fact, um, the exceptionalism of what the response was to the pandemic. It's like um, karaoke bars were completely out of the question because, as as you will remember from our previous episode, uh, droplets were going to were going to kill us all. This was why. All of us had to be locked into our homes and hide under our beds. And if we did, God forbid, go out somewhere, we had to make sure that we were all um, six to eight feet apart. Um, and if we were indoors, even more than that. Do you remember this? Do you remember the, uh, uh, the debate about how far apart people needed to be to be safe? That some people said like six feet is fine, and it's like no, no, and they both, they, you know, they got video of uh, of the droplets, and uh, the droplets can go up to you know whatever thirty feet, and it's like well, okay, but we're not gonna, you can't you can't have a metropolitan area where everybody has to be thirty feet apart, um, so that it, already, you know, for for somebody who who thinks the way I do, where it's like, well, okay, if, if, uh, if things are going to change that drastically overnight, that calls attention to itself. I, I have no idea what's going on here. And, you know, I'm happy to speculate on what's going on here. But um, the mere fact of this is what we're suddenly obsessing about for no discernible reason that I could see. This is... Uh, this is uh, interesting to me. Like I say, the uh, uh, the draconian social distancing um, that I wrote down here, and then uh, uh, again another element to it is um, the su the subjective angle of it. The fact that this is happening to me. Uh, Jeff Seiler is happening to me 
in a way that uh, isn't happening with the other service fan and um, isn't happening between Jeff Seiler and everybody else. So that kind of uh, calls attention to itself. So, and uh, Jeff is from Minneapolis and Jeff makes the point of telling me that Minneapolis has okayed the reopening of either karaoke bars generally or Minneapolis's one karaoke bar. Uh, do you remember Jeff talking about that, like the, the karaoke bar was a big deal for him? Uh, there were there were times where he would post things and he would say, "Okay, I have to go because my my car is coming to get me to take me to karaoke tonight." And it was like it was one of them. You know, it was Jeff. He, there's always a little detail that nobody's really going to care about, but you know he's going to make a point of saying something so that when it comes up later and, well, how could you guys forget that I like whatever? And it's like, well, Jeff, you know, none of us really care. <laughs> but you take my point, exactly, that it's, it, these things call attentions to, the, to themselves that uh, karaoke suddenly loomed large in in Jeff Seiler's legend, and uh, and like you say, uh, he would make a make a point of it where he didn't really need to make a point of it. Just uh, you know, if you're done writing your post, just stop writing and go and do something else. Don't say I have to go to karaoke tonight. Um, so there, there was that element to it. Uh, so the way the way that my mind works with those sorts of things is okay. They, these are in a specific category. We've got Jeff Seiler, we've got Minneapolis, and um, we've got weird karaoke exceptionalism that has now asserted its existence, and it's like. I'm not curious enough about it to, like you say, research it in depth or anything. It's just, uh, this is calling attention to itself, duly noted. Um, for some reason, Minneapolis, um, in, in, in a distinction from every other city that I could think of in North America that I was aware of, certainly of Kitchener, um, nobody was reopening for karaoke at that point. So you have, okay, here's uh, here's the inexplicable lockdown in the first place. I don't really think the droplets are coming together, but you know we can explain that away as uh, um, you know feminist hypochondria. All of uh, all of the, uh, the health authorities are now you know the, at the highest levels are mostly occupied by women. And they tend far more towards hypochondria than men do. And consequently, this is the best reason that I can come up with for what I consider the, this extreme overreaction to COVID-19. Um, but it, it's, it's not something that I'm, I'm really obsessing about. It's just uh, the whole world's going kind of strange and definitely uh, at least 180 degrees of separation from from how Dave Sim thinks and perceives reality. Uh, what followed from that 
was the um, the George Floyd situation, where um, you know definitely uh, a, a terrible a terrible racist tragedy, uh, but in terms of my mental filing system, where I'm putting things, uh, particularly, you know, at that time where everything has been reduced to um, virtual, a virtual standstill. Um, and, you know, a lockdown is a lockdown is a lockdown. It's a, it's a prison term. So it's like, okay, for some reason, we have now turned uh, all of the G7 countries into uh, prison camps, and we're now using prison camp terms. Uh, I, that's fine, you know. I I've lived with weirder things in my time, and uh, I can adjust to this um, as long as nobody's coming into the out wife off White House to get me, who's a health authority. Um, I can. I'm more than happy to just let this play itself out at whatever level, um, you know, feminist hypochondria at that level, that universal level, is going to play it out. Uh, but it, all, it is all, all bookmarked. So when, when the George Floyd thing happened, um, I think the most noteworthy thing uh, about that, apart from the horrific um, episode itself, was the fact that suddenly the same people who had been telling us that we all have to be at least eight feet apart from each other because being any closer than eight feet apart means we have these dangerous droplets flying all over the place and consequently people who don't stay that far apart uh, are committing acts of genocide against, uh, against their fellow citizens or potentially are committing acts of genocide against their fellow citizens. All of those same people suddenly poured out into the streets en masse, bunched together and marching in, you know, Black Lives Matter protests. And it's like, okay, again, in, in my frames of reference, I go category by category. Um, this category, um, the Jeff Seiler is the exception and is contacting me. Jeff Seiler is from Minneapolis. Um, Jeff Seiler is calling attention to the fact that the karaoke bars are opening and he is now going to karaoke, definitely in violation of what I understand is the spirit of the, uh, the COVID-19 lockdown. Um, and now what we have done is, is leveled up. We've gone, we've gone up a level from that where that exceptionalism that I've noted, Jeff Seiler, Minneapolis, karaoke bar, is now Jeff Seiler, Minneapolis, um, George Floyd, and now worldwide lockdown violation that the people that are, that are doing that conscious violation seem to have no conscious awareness of the irony of it um, and um, the hypocrisy of it, that, that you, can't, you can't believe this thing over here 
at this moment and then 24 hours later go, all of that's off the board. We have to go and do this thing that uh, completely violates all of that. And it's uh, and do it and do it in such a way that everybody that's going WTF um, can't say anything. Because it's like if you say anything about these people violating the lockdown so egregiously, the only explanation for you doing that is that you're a racist. Right. I'm just thinking back because I remember I remember when the social distancing was six feet and they came out with this diagram of stay six feet apart from everyone and it had an equilateral triangle where all three sides were labeled six feet and somebody made turned into a mem of of that diagram and then Pythagoras giving up what the hell look because yeah because Pythagorean theorem, it's six feet, six feet, and 8.25 feet. So that, that's where we were telling everybody, 8.25 feet, that way you're safe. Right, right. And it's like going, this is really basic, basic geometry. You're trying to tell everybody on the planet how they have to live their lives different from how they were living their lives 72 hours ago. And you can't even get the basic geometry right. I mean, and then I remember my brother took my niece to a protest, and I'm like, I'm like, what you're doing? What? And I was like, well, yeah, they're having a protest, and you know, and and I, I you know, if you don't stand up, you know, blah blah. And I'm going, okay, how are you gonna stay six feet away from everybody? And it's well, we, we're gonna wear masks. I'm like, okay, you know, you're gonna not come near my house for a couple of months. I mean, you know, let's. Let's just be realistic here. I mean, I, I understand. Bad things happened. You know, we, we the, the, the right to protest, you know, it, yes, I can understand the impulse to want to do that. I just, you know, I'm the guy that showed up at work wearing a mask and everybody's like, why do you got a diaper on your face? And I'm like, um, because my wife's a nurse. She does home care. She's got elderly patients that if they get this, they'll probably die. You know, technically, if I don't wear a mask and I catch it and I give it to her and she gives it to them, I'm an accessory right. to murder. And, and, right. and right. people were, and like my boss got in my face about that. Like, that's not true. And I'm going, okay, legally, maybe not. But morally, I mean, I could have prevented, you know, it's the, the Spider-Man thing of you could have stopped the burglar who ended up killing your uncle, but you decided eh, I'm only looking out for number one. Well, now what are you going to do, Pete? Right. You know, right. I, I, and, and, it's, and it's also the, um, uh, there, there's never a control group. It's like you make your decision, you know, you make your choices and you take your chances. And uh, there's no, well, what if, what if I had done this? You know, what, uh, what if uh, Matt Dow had said, no, uh, I'm just not going to wear wear a mask. And uh, well, we don't know because Matt wore a mask. I mean, it, it got it was getting kind of funny too because like I, uh, the T Public site that that we have the Amux store through ha was started selling masks, and I'm like, oh, cool, you know, I can buy a nice mask instead of having the one that my mom made out of an old pair of my uh, sleep pants. 
Because that, that was, it was, I needed a fabric mask and my mom found a pattern and she had a bunch of scrap fabric. Well, she had this pair of pants that I had outgrown that had devils on them. So I was walking around with devils on my face. And I'm like, okay, you know, but it, it, it doesn't look the greatest and it's not, it's not designed 100% the way. So I'll buy one of these pre-made, pre-printed masks. So I bought, I got a Miracle Man one with the Miracle Man logo and it showed up and it was a little too small for my face. And I'm going... Okay, that's six bucks I'm never getting back. Right. You know, and, and then at work they gave all of us as a safety bonus, they gave us tumblers and masks. And I and like it was slightly bigger than the Miracle Man one. I'm going, Okay, did you guys think about this when you put the order in? Like some of us have fat faces, maybe maybe you want to get the big mask? Right. Since we're all gonna be living this way from now on. I mean that's that the, the Amok Tea Public Shop pretty much started with, I wanted to make a service mouth mask because I thought that'd be funny. And I'm like, this is the kind of thing that, you know, we're, everyone's got to wear a mask. People are starting to sell them where the mask looks like a face. Let's go, let's just do the whole nine and see if, how many of these we can sell. And yeah, it sold some. But by the time I got them up there, it was, well, masks are important, but not really. You know, it, it's August, it's hot, do we really want to cover our faces? Right, right. And that's, I mean, I, I, I do enjoy that, you know, COVID, it, it quote unquote ended. And I'm going, no, it didn't end. We just kind of all stopped caring. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. people, there's and people. And it was, the, it was that same consensus thing. The, uh, uh, the, the consensus has been arrived at. And I don't remember anybody discussing this. I don't remember anybody voting on this. I just remember that, uh, no, uh, it, it, masks don't do any good. And that was, uh, that lasted for about three months. And then no masks are mandatory. Well, it, With no, uh, okay, how, how did you go from, uh, from the first rationale to the second rationale without letting anybody else, any, any of the rest of us know that this was this was taking place. Again, on the assumption that we're going, all going to be living this way from now on. Well, and, and it was weird, too, because, like, I, I wore a mask up until the vaccine came out, and then I got vaccinated, and I'm like, okay, two weeks after my vaccination, or the second shot, because it was, you know, you had to get the one shot and wait a little bit, get a second shot. Two weeks after that, it's okay, you're, you in theory, are fully vaccinated and you and you no longer have to worry about it. I'm like, well, I don't have to wear a mask anymore. And somebody at work was like, well, how come you're not wearing a mask? I'm like, I'm vaccinated. And, and they just kind of looked at me like, why would you do that? It's like, well, I get the flu shot every year for the same reason because, you know, my wife's in health care. This is, this is the decision that I need to live with. And everybody was like, you know, and, and the best part was the people that were going, well, why would you get the vac vaccine? I'm like, because... Ah, Vaccine vaccines work. I didn't get polio as a kid. I didn't get smallpox. There's vaccines, and the people that were most anti-vax at work within two weeks caught COVID. And I'm going, see, you know, yes, needles suck. Nobody, no, there's very few people who are like, oh, needles are the greatest thing in the universe. But at the same time, you know, it, you get a little poke, you feel a little sick for a couple days, and then you get on with your life. Or you isolate. Or, or 
you die or or whatever else again there's no uh there's no control group where you go okay how would my life have gone in my case if i had gotten vaccinated and it's like uh i don't know because uh i didn't get vaccinated i didn't you know i i really i really didn't think about it it's uh it's just just wasn't wasn't on my personal radar again you know this It'd be a different story if, uh, you know, the police came to the front door with the health officials and broke in and went, I'm sorry, you have to be vaccinated. It's like, well, okay. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and fight you guys and whatever else. But, uh, as long as I'm in here and you're out there, uh, you can do whatever you want. And I'll do whatever I want. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that because again, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, Trying to tell a specific story, so that's the, that's the first part of the, uh, you know, how how I react to things, uh, category by category, and to me it was, um, there was the karaoke situation that then escalated dramatically into the uh, George Floyd situation, from my experience, centered around uh, Jeff Silent. So that's my that's my Jeff Seiler story for uh, for August 2023. And in October, we're all going to put on our fake vampire fangs for the next part. <laughs> You're getting ahead of the story, man. <laughs> uh, and then if there isn't anything in the map doesn't know about this, today's kind of thing we need to mention, Pyle. Uh, we've got that, but that's coming up uh, with... Uh, um, let's, uh, oh, Dodgers, uh, with, with Dodgers question, Mike school, Mike school, which is, which is next, um, over on X, formerly the Twitters, um, uh, how's that going since I'm not online or anything? It's, uh, uh, it's like, um, now that it's called X, are people calling it X? <laughs> Uh, somebody posted a thing saying, now that they've changed Twitter to X, that means that all the Twitter employees are either X employees, as in E-X hyphen, or X, capital X, employees. <laughs> it, uh... Right. It's... <sighs> it's like watching a dumpster fire. You know, it... Or a train crash. You know this isn't going to end well. And, like, Tuesday, uh, there was a there was a push on Monday of, on Tuesday, don't anybody use, use X slash Twitter as a sign that, you know, that, that, to the advertisers that, hey, you're not getting any engagements for 24 hours, what's going on? So I deleted it off my phone and I'm debating putting it back on because it's one of those I go on and it's five people that I don't that I follow that I, I actually care about and then a bunch of crap like at you know ads that I, I hide the ad because I don't care about whatever the product is or it's a friend of a friend of a friend or it's just you know the algorithm breaks and all of a sudden it's Hey, you you're interested in this, aren't you? It's like, no, not at all. Why why are you showing me things I don't care about? And so, I, yeah, I've I've kind of pulled back, you know, 
I'll go on for every day when I when I have a post. I go through the moment of service Twitter account and or X account, I guess. It just sounds weird. It, it, it's the moment of service X account. You mean Denny? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but but yeah. So I'll post the link to whatever today's blog post is, and you know, you know whatever day it is. So like you know Monday, and then the link, or Tuesday, and then the link. And and that's and then I you know there'll be a little button that's or a little notification thing that says oh you have notifications and I click on it and you know a bunch of people followed me okay great or uh, my other private personal account liked something that the moment of service account posted because you know that's how the internet works and right. and then like and then like this question came up and I'm going okay you know and you know this is something that yeah okay uh, I will shuffle into the pile and I left the window open for. A week just to remind myself, hey, this guy has a question. Make sure that we ask this question of Dave because otherwise I'm going to forget. It's going to be one of those, I swear I had more questions. Where are all these questions? And I can't find them because they're, it's the internet. You, if, if it's not right in front of you, eh, it wasn't really important. So you go through the, um, the A Moment of Service X feed. Yeah. And look for something that's uh, in the in the question category. Well, if, if someone specifically tags the account and asks a question, that's a really good way of me going, oh, yeah, I have to ask this. If Oh, okay, that's what the at, a mo- at moment of service is about. Yeah. They asked, they asked the, the account, and that's you. Yeah, because Tim gave it up, and because Tim was doing it for a while, and after a year, he's like, "Well, I should probably just turn this over to you." And I'm going, "Okay, I." <laughs> Thanks, just, I think I'm just old enough and just luddite enough to go, you know, like they come up with a new app, and it's this is this is the new hot app that all the kids like, and I'm going, "I'm not a 13 year old girl. What do I care?" You know. <laughs> That was that was Twitter to me when it first came out. I'm not a 13 year old girl. What do I care? You know, you get to you, the on my personal account. I have a pinned tweet where it's an image of a poster my dad has of a urinal with a bunch of graffiti, and and I mean and it's it's a funny poster and I've seen bathrooms in the real world that look like that and the right. pin the. The pin tweet. So if, if a tweet is pinned, it, it, when people go to your profile, it's the first thing they see. And like, you know, for a moment of service, the pin tweet would be a link to the website. Uh, for some artists, it's a link to their online portfolio. Well, my pin tweet for my personal account is this image, and it says, "This is how I see Twitter." If you didn't like something I posted, next time I'll try a limerick. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean. See, because the, the only thing that came to mind for me when I heard about the uh, read about the X thing uh, in the newspaper, uh, because it, 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 in the newspaper, anytime something happened on Twitter that had to do with writing or had to had to do with writers, um, and suddenly it it generated this this huge outpouring of uh, a comment section or whatever, um, it, it, you knew the scale of the importance that this held, this holds in our society, 
because it was responded to by uh, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, and Margaret Atwood. Well, Those that... were the only three only three writers that uh, something came up like uh, some poor writer had some terrible. Uh, what was it? It was uh, nobody showed up at their uh, at their first signing, and uh, immediately, like practically within within moments, Neil Gaiman and Stephen King and Margaret Atwood had all posted stories about signings they had done where nobody had showed up. And it's like, I'm going, well, it's, it's very nice of them to do, you know, for somebody who's, who's on Twitter and a writer and going, you know, I feel like killing myself kind of thing. But why is it just those three writers? <laughs> so I was, I was curious if, uh, <laughs> this is now a situation because of, of, of Neil Gaiman's, uh, you know, high standing uh, on the site. Is he now Neil Gaiman X-Man? I should ask him that. That's a thought. I've had interactions with Neil every now and then where he post, you know, he'll tweet something and you know he gets five thousand responses and sometimes he sees them and sometimes he doesn't. And I've had a couple like uh, when the comic skate thing blew up, I had I had said something about it to him and his response was that the little interaction he had was. People who are part of Comicsgate trying to tell him he didn't know anything about his own career, and that okay. was that was when right. he went. He, he washed his hands of them. He's like, "I'm not dealing with you people anymore. You're 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 literally telling me I don't know what I did. You know that that right. that right. how I broke in. You know the dues he paid, all that stuff. You know it, it's you know they're telling him he doesn't know Sandman. When it's like. Pretty sure Neil's the guy that knows Sandman better than anybody else. Yeah, but at the at the same time, uh, you know, Kevin Eastman makes the point that uh, um, he tried to change his his entry on Wikipedia uh, because they had him born in the wrong city in Maine. He was born in Portland, and they kept changing it back. So to the, to this day, he's, uh, he's he's now I forget the the other location, but uh, they're quite insistent. No, you weren't born in Portland, and we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop messing around with our our absolute truth here. Anyway, okay, moving on to uh, Es Dimp, uh, aka Zine Love, aka Les Sorno Zines, yeah, Yay Sorno Zines. Um, at Yeston Pettigrew. Um, so that's that's their handle. That's yes. them contacting at a moment of service. I got that right? That's I was I was gonna just say a guy on X slash Twitter and I'm like, nope, I'm gonna put what, what it actually says the name is because I looked at it and went, Dave's gonna have fun with this. <laughs> you, you can't well, definitely going uh, all right, and how much time do you do you people spend on this? Not not pointing fingers. I well, I uh, I spend three hours reading John John's Gospel Monday and Wednesday, and you obviously think that's that's lunatic behavior. No. Anyway, okay. Someone on Facebook was asking a question about glamour puss. Uh, they know that there were different versions sent out: a retailer version and a regular version. There was also mention of a fashion industry version being sent out. 
did that happen? And yes, it did. Yes, it did. And uh, uh, I, uh, as a matter of fact, like I, I, I never, I never think about this because you know, Clarence is definitely in my, uh, in my rearview mirror uh, at this point. But um, it was there. Uh, there were two versions of the fashion industry version. Um, and I got Rolly to take a picture of me today, uh, holding one of them up. He'll, he'll be emailing that to you along with the, um, um, the stay flat that, uh, that they will, they were mailed out in, which had a, um, uh, a stamp in the corner. Pick it up right here. This was the, uh, the Jetcon self sealing corrugated mailer. And I got a stamp made up that says, your Glamour Puss Platinum VIP Access Pass enclosed. And that was on the front of, uh, of the stay flat. And then, uh, I got, uh, I got the addresses printed up. This was, this was one of those, boy, did, did this look like a great idea on paper? <laughs> this was, uh, uh, this, this can't, can't possibly not work. Uh, what I did was, where are we here? Now, now I, I've mislaid it. Have I mislaid it? Or just turned it upside down? Or what have I done? Where is it? Where is it? Anyway. Um, yeah, the fashion industry edition. Um, I'll read, I'll read the back cover of it. You, you'll have, like I say, you'll have a photograph of the front cover and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, this special fashion industry limited edition version of Glamour Puss number one, in parentheses, which doubles as your platinum access or gold access VIP invitation to all Glamour Puss events in 2008 has been mailed to the Glamour Puss guest list a select group of executives and editorial personnel employed by these fine North American fashion, lifestyle, and women's magazines. And like I say, this is on the back cover. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the list is Chatelaine, Elite, Fashion, Flair, Glamour, Harper's Bazaar, InStyle, Lulu, Lucky, Nouveau, Nylon, Red Book, Self, style the oprah magazine which was still coming out at that time threads vanity fair and vogue uh to find out more about your glamour plus vip platinum or vip gold access visit www.glamourpluscomic.com and as you will be looking at right now because uh, uh matt Dow has skillfully um put in these visuals, uh, I came up with the idea of going, if I took the, um, the foil seals that, uh, that lawyers use on legal documents, which were being phased out, but they still were using them, uh, at that time. And if I got a template made that said glamour plus platinum edition and got, uh, bought the, um, the silver seals and then press that into the silver seal 
and then put it into this circle on the cover, that's going to look really impressive to people in the fashion industry who are civilians and don't know really what it is that uh, that they're looking at. It's like, wow, that's, you know, it's got raised lettering and everything. That's, that's really, really cool was the idea. And uh, the idea was that I went and bought a copy of each of those magazines that, uh, that I just listed, counting them real quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 fashion and lifestyle and women's magazine. Uh, went and bought a copy and uh, uh, tore out the masthead, which is uh, the list of everybody that works at the magazine. Uh, fashion magazines are kind of notorious for not paying people real well. So one of the big, uh, one of the big job perks, particularly for the lower orders is, uh, that you get your name in the magazine, uh, as long, you know, practically down to intern. And that is, well, you know, at least I can get a copy of the magazine or buy a copy of the magazine and show all my friends and relatives here, here's my name down here. And, Arbitrarily, I would go, okay, um, publisher, editor-in-chief at the top, how far down do I go to the bottom of the platinum level? And everybody below that is uh, gold access level. And uh, did the gold foil for the, the gold foil level and basically uh, got mailing labels printed for each of the magazines that had um, uh, the, the magazine's name and address on the label and then went through and hand wrote each individual person's name who was getting an individual copy that would go with their, uh, their, their, their complimentary copy of the fashion edition um, to, to their place of employment. Um, I forget how much it costs. <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking, uh, intentionally <laughs> on how, how much it costs, uh, to press all of those labels, um, print, uh, an entire run of fashion industry preview editions, uh, package them uh, by the, uh, the, the state flat mailer, uh, put them in a plastic bag with a backing board, put them into the mailer, and then take them to the post office and mail them. Ballpark at that time, 2008, I think it was at least, at least four or five dollars to mail each one of them. And, uh, the idea was that However many people that I heard from, uh, I could just send them invitations to events at comic book conventions, which wouldn't be at the actual comic book convention. It would be at um, a fashion industry style bar in proximity to the comic book convention. Um, basically, Find a place where 
uh, you know, they're not doing exactly land office business. Uh, can I hold uh, a glamour plus party here? Explain the concept to them. I figure, well, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're all a place that's just opened or whatever, but it's, you know, pretty well upscale and have, you know, business inf- attire invitations. Uh, the only place that that happened was at, uh, at the last signing at, uh, in 2010, which, uh, uh, Margaret and, uh, any, any, uh, uh, number of people who were at the, at the last signing and we have photographs of everybody in business attire at the, uh, uh, the, the upscale bar that, uh, that Callum arranged, uh, strange, strange adventures store owner, uh, for everybody to go to. That was the only glamour plus party that that happened. Um, Darwin Cook and his wife uh, were there. So it was, that was the concept was uh, people that aren't afraid to wear business attire and actually think, oh, this would be pretty cool. Go to an upscale bar, wear business attire, would mix and mingle with people from the fashion industry and we would get some sort of cross-pollination going on uh, around Glamour Puts. And uh, like I say, a ballpark how much did all of this cost for me to put together? Um, Twelve thousand, fourteen thousand dollars, and uh, then we get to. Um, I hope I, I, I'm, I'm obviously mispronouncing this, but Eston Pettigrew. Uh, do you know whether Dave got a reaction from any of the fashion copies that were sent out? And no. Zero, zip, uh, no responses to the website. Um, one of the things that I was hoping for was since everybody at the fashion magazine um, that's on the masthead is going to get one of these, and the fashion magazines were still pretty thick at that time, and they all had like potpourri pages where here's 15 or 16 different products that you know, got sent to the office and uh, somebody thought that this was really cool and somebody else thought that this was really cool. So we're throwing it in here and, uh, you know, go and buy this at, uh, at your local comic book store. It's glamorous. We think it's funny. Uh, no, absolutely zero. In retrospect, um, the fashion industry takes itself very, very, very seriously. And the idea that you would parody a fashion magazine. Well, there's nothing funny about fashion magazine. <laughs> and it's like, well, au contraire, if, if you're asking me personally, but that's the problem is, uh, I was the only one that you could ask personally. Uh, I only after I went through all of that, did I remember that, um, Harvard Lampoon, the precursor of the national lampoon, had the same problem happen when they did their um, Vogue magazine parody. It's like nobody who read Vogue magazine wanted to read it, and nobody who would ordinarily read the Harvard Lampoon was interested in fashion magazine. So it also tanked. Uh, I remember one of the headlines from the the, uh, the Harvard Lampoon uh, Vogue parody was uh, 
15 ways to decorate your uterine wall. <laughs> See, that's, that's funny. I, I thought it was funny, but it's like anybody that saw that in the newsstand who was uh, a fashion person went, that's not funny. Um, and anybody who was going and buying magazines and isn't a fashion fan went, uh, I don't buy magazines like that. I, I wouldn't buy Vogue, and why would I buy a, a parody of Vogue? So there you go. There's, uh, there's the response to that one. I do have, the mental image that I had was the dumpster out back of the Condé Nast building, because uh, what I found out researching all of the fashion magazines is that almost all of them were either published by Condé Nast or were in the Condé Nast building. Consequently, I pictured the dumpster in behind was just absolutely chock-a-block full of um, ultra, what are now ultra-rare platinum and, and gold edition exclusive fashion industry preview copies, of which, uh, as far as I know, uh, the Service Archive has, has the only copies. If anybody wants to take issue with that and say, uh, no, I got one of them, um, I might have... I might have sent one to Margaret Liz. You, uh, you sent me a gold one. You got a gold one, did you? Okay. And then a, another gold one turned up at the store my buddy was working at. And he's like, hey, do you want one of these? And I'm like, Glamorous number one? No, I ordered like eight copies, you know, trying to goose numbers up and, and I ended up buying them all. And he's like, well, it's a gold one. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one, that one I want. And he's like, what? And I'm like, well, they're all serialized so technically if we have the list of who got what we can track down who who had this and decided they didn't want it anymore right 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 and you did that no no it's on my to-do list <laughs> there's only one guy that would have I the was, list I, was, I'm just, to I was just kidding i knew you didn't do that but it's well, it, it. my, my all-time favorite was the, the Glamour Puss uh, website, if you had access, you could vote on uh, article titles for the covers of upcoming issues. And you could submit oh, right. you could I, submit article ideas if you had them. And the only the only title I could come up with that I was gonna submit that I, I it was one of those by the time I thought of it and was gonna submit it, the the website had kinda sort of gone away. Like like it it was there but it wasn't active type thing. Was babies versus puppies? What's the fashion accessory this season? Good one. And I, and, and when you pitched me on, hey, do you want to pitch stories for Glamour Plus? That was an article, and I'm like, I really should try writing that article. I'm like, the problem is, it it's just a headline. There is no substance that would make it funny. Oh, I, again, au contraire. All you'd have to do is. Uh is read one of Paula's, Paula's fashion magazines and go, I can do that voice. That's, uh, that's, uh, it, it, it does have a, a manner that begs to be torn apart, but it certainly doesn't, uh, doesn't perceive itself that way. Well, that's when I was doing my research for trying to write for Glamour Puss, I bought an issue of Vogue and, and it was, uh, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take this apart and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, 
go through, find all the uh, all the picture, cut all the pictures out, try to figure out, you know, what kind of voice I want and stuff. And the big thing that blew my mind was for the same price of a regular floppy newsstand comic, uh, I could get something the size of my, the phone book of the town I live in. And now, granted, right. 90% ads, but when you're looking for, you know, images, the ads would still work. I'm like, why can't we have comics this thick for this price? <laughs> and the answer yeah. is because nobody's going nobody's gonna to pay for an ad in Superman what they're going to pay for an ad in Vogue. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that model collapsed. The, the fashion magazine model collapsed because of the Internet. It was... Uh, you can, you know, you, you want to know what the, the uh, fashion show that's going on in Milan uh, right this minute is like, um, just go to this feed and, and you can watch it. You can watch it on your high-definition television if you want. You don't have to wait two months for somebody to print a postage stamp-sized photograph from it saying, uh, okay, here's, here's one of the dresses. I don't want to see one of the dresses. I want to see all of the dresses. And, you know, the Internet is far more capable of doing that than, uh, than fashion magazines were. They're, st- they're, still, they're still holding their own, but uh, it, it's, it's the same thing that happened in newspapers. The, the license to print, print money, um, because of the money that came in on the classified ads, uh, as, soon as, you, you don't, you know, as soon as you got Craigslist, you know, the classified ads have just been, you know, uh, knocked out of the batter's box. Uh, that's it. That, that that doesn't that doesn't change back uh, back the other way at uh, at any time. One of one of the things I've been thinking about as uh, as a fundraiser for the uh, uh, the last uh, the last four or five days because uh, I actually went okay. I you know I don't know if I have to start uh, selling artwork. Um, if, if the situation is getting that grim, um, I, uh, so I started, I started looking at the, at the glamour plus artwork and it's all, and it's always difficult because it's like, I'm looking at the artwork going, okay, uh, which one would probably bring in the most money. And, uh, it's like, Oh, I really like this one. And it's like, yeah, but would it bring in the most money? And it's like, I don't know. I really like this one. And it, and the more I look at it, it's, you know, like a bird's head. You're sort of like tilting back and forth and going, uh, I, I, I can't see this through the, through the eyes of others. But one of the things that happened was there, uh, there have been two or three occasions in the last few years where I've gone through all of the Glamour Plus artwork that I still have and gone and, and doing that. Uh, which ones are, am I going to sell? Which ones are you going to, am I going to start with? And uh, which ones do I want to hang on to? And I'm going, I can't find the beer and iguana page. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, because that was one of your, uh, I will I will try writing a Glamour Quiz page thing. That's, that's, I was just thinking like, well, you know, that if, if you're going to try to sell a page from Glamour Quiz, that'd be in my top five of trying to sell because it's got famous pretty girls that are still famous on it. 
Avril Lavigne and uh, uh, Swift. Swift. Taylor Swift. And, I mean, Taylor Swift when, when she still had ringlets, no less. Uh, I mean, the uh, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen pages would be also, you know, there, there's probably going to be, I don't know if there's as big of an interest in the two of them, but at the same time, it's like, it's there's a famous girl, we recognize it's a famous girl, you know, yeah, this is this is a page that you know you don't have to wonder. Well, what the heck is it? Well, it's a famous girl. Right, right. I mean, Sarah. So Jessica- what I was what I was going to do was try to leverage the fact that uh, exactly as you say, my my I, I I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. And I couldn't find it every time that I went through, and I'm going like, what did what did I do with that page? I didn't give it to somebody because it's like I really really liked it. It's really. Nice page. I thought particularly the likeness on, on Avril Lavigne was good. Uh, you did point out that uh, Colt Forty Five isn't a beer. Well, it it's a form of beer, but it's not beer. That's that's right. I mean, the 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 I grabbed the concept of generic beer from the movie Repo Man because in that movie, all the food products are the store brand for this store in California where it's a white can with blue printing. So like pasta, you know, it's spaghetti. It's a white box, says, blue writing, and says spaghetti. And in the movie, right. they drink beer. And, you know, it's a can, uh-huh. it's a can, white can, blue printing says beer. They also have, uh, there's some kind of cocktail in a can that, that, you know, it looks, it's a smaller can, but it's the same concept. And so like, okay, it's beer. So when I created the characters, it was, okay, it's iguana beer, and the beer's going to look like that, but I made it black because it's a black and white book. It makes more sense. Well, I went on the internet and bought three generic beer cans so that I would have them. And and after after the Colt 45 thing and, and the other two times that you've done beer, and you know, one time you created your own logo, and it looks amazing, and I'm going, but it's off-model. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna send you one of the three because I have two that are exa- identical, just says beer on the front and the back. But then I have one that is the most beer beer can in the world because it says beer on the front and on the back. There's this two paragraph rant about buying American. Really? <laughs> and and I got it, and I'm going, yeah, no, that tracks. You know, it's the kind of thing of you know, it's beer. You know, he's gonna go on a stupid rant that you know, in hindsight, you look at it, and you're like, well, that's kind of jingoistic. Right. And, right. and 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 I keep coming back to, you know, I mean, you know, it it's such a simple design and I'm going, you know, but then uh when uh the Kitchen Brothers, uh Mike and, and uh Blair did the crossover, they they had mugs of beer. And I'm going, that's neat, but it's off model. Right. Right. Don't don't try to don't try telling me about my character. But anyway, getting getting back to the page, now that I know that it exists, it's like, and I, like I say, I really like it. Um, it's, uh, it's a very nice looking page. It's a very, very good looking iguana. Um, even though Colt 45 isn't an actual beer, it does look like a can of uh, Colt 45. And, uh, and your gag is funny about, because it's, uh, it's two of them, uh, talking about doing a benefit concert for 
Lindsay Lohan. And uh, by the time they did it, uh, Lindsay Lohan was like already out of prison, eh? So we decided to party in Cowell instead. <laughs> and it's like I went, that's a great page. That's a great page. You, you said it to, his, to me as, uh, as, a, as a story idea. And it's like, uh, I don't really see uh, multi-page strip in this, but it would it, definitely make a, a funny one-page inside joke. It's like, now my question is, the, the deepest-pocketed service fans who listen to Please Hold for Dave's Hem and are a moment of service devotees, how much are you people willing to scrape together between you to buy Matt Dow, the Matt, the, uh, the beer and iguana page? Yeah, that was on my list of, okay, I win the lottery and I have more money than brains. You know, I, I, I would call up, hey, Dave, I got, I have more money than brains. You know, it's, all your troubles are over, our ships come in, but I want to buy that page. You know, what, at what point do I pry it out of your, your, your hands without you going, no, no, and ripping it in half? And I'm, and I'm you know, it's one of those. It's, I, if I can't have it, no one can have it. You know, it's, it's one of those, a million dollars? Half a million dollars. I mean, at, at a certain point, you know, my ego goes, "Well, it's got to be in the six figures." And and then the little voice goes on of, "Dave probably could sell it for a thousand dollars right here, right now, if somebody had the money." It's like, yeah, yeah, but no, that page is really nice. I mean, I have I have the tracing papers for it, and even the tracing papers look really, really nice. I there mean, you it's, go. So it's, what I'm trying to do is. Um... Like, I'll, I'll, I have no shame. I'll, I'll leverage anything at this point. So it's like, uh, if you're listening to me, you are already a, a moment of service devotee. Uh, you are already a uh, please hold for Dave Sim devotee. And you know, you know how tirelessly and how thanklessly and how relentlessly Day in and day out, on your behalf, Matt Dow labors, time taken away from the bosom of his loving family. All right, that's a bit of a stretch, but uh, you see where I'm going with this. It's like Matt gives and gives and gives and gives without asking any reward whatsoever, um, which I do as well. It's like I give and I give and I give. And so many of you say we really, really appreciate how much you give, Dave. And I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. But it's like, okay in terms of dollars and cents, how much in the same, a moment of service, esprit de corps that you exhibited when issue number four was going up for auction at heritageauctions.com and you all pulled together as a team. Apologies to Pink Floyd. <laughs> 
You see where I'm, you see where I'm going with this? Well, the, 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 the footnote on the, on the number four is we pulled together as a team to get blown out of the water in a literally 30 seconds. Right. Right. But that, that has, as, because it was a, it was a pretty significant amount of money. I mean, I, I was, mean, to get blown out of the water in 30 seconds. I'm just, there's a part of me that's going, well, Dave, I mean, you have the art, you have a scanner, we have access to a printer, we could do prints of that page and sell them for, and, you know, that's the part where it's, okay, you know, a stay flat, Rolly's time, the printing cost, you know, signing them, putting, you could, you could put platinum seals on them if you had platinum seals left, you know, but then, you know, it's, okay, it's one print, it's, it's not going to be a 10 pack, you know, at what point is it, does it sound like we're, you know, no longer pigs, we're starting to turn into hogs, and I'm thinking 50 bucks, 60 bucks, I mean, you know, there has to be a profit here, but you could sell a print, and I would would Scout's Honor print up for everyone that buys them a copy of uh, a Time Machine and a Coat Hanger, the making of the page, the Glamorpus Archive uh, ash can that I made years and years and years ago, and I've posted parts of it, but I've never posted, I don't think I've posted the whole thing. Mainly because I it was one of those I have to go back and there's you know page seven has half a blank page just because of the formatting so I was going to put a funny cartoon in there but I will I will finish up the the Glamorpus archive ash can and offer to anybody that offers to buy a print if Dave wants to sell them just to see you know what kind of interest there is and this is the part where Michael and Michael and Margaret and Jen go we'll do it and and that's the end of the income so Dave wants to know. How much money for the actual art, with his with his fingerprints on it and the pencil smudges and and you know? Actually, it's pretty clean. There's uh, I was I, I was surprised that uh, but uh, I, I I I I was forced to di- to digress right there. But yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that. I think everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. It's uh, uh, Merry Christmas for. For Dave and Matt, and massive, massive guilt for everybody else. <laughs> I mean, I still like the print idea just because that's, I, I'm a big fan of, hey, we should do prints. But I also understand that prints is a pain in the butt. Yes, yes. It's, it's much. Uh, it, 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 if, if this doesn't, doesn't gel, if this doesn't, uh, uh, coalesce into uh, into something resembling a mutual Christmas. At the very least, I will uh, get Rolly to take it up to Alfonso and do a full size scan for you. Okay, I mean that's technically the page before it. We need to get a full size scan to Eddie since that's the first appearance of Eddie in an Ardvark Vanaheim book. Rare, rare, rare. Rare, rare. Okay, a couple of guys on the Cerebus Facebook group are looking for guys' party packs. Does AV have any in stock, and how much should they send you? Uh, as a matter of fact, 
the questions came in. Uh, when did you fax? You faxed these over yesterday. Yeah. So uh, I, I I read all of the questions, and then when when Rolly was here, because Rolly's the guy who knows where all the bodies are buried, and I was out back at Camp David, I said, uh, Rolly, um, I know we have guys' party packs. Do you know a where they are and how many we've got and found them right away and there's 21 of them okay and took a took a close look at them i would say like they're not uh, they're not slapped and they're not bagged and boarded but i would guess that uh, uh even the worst of them's probably uh 9.6 9.8 um i can get Rolly to go through and go, okay, first come, first serve gets uh, gets the best condition copy, uh, copy or copies. Uh, and I would leave it as, well, what's it worth to you? Um, as, it, you know, it, this is uh, uh, Facebook group guys, and I guess uh, a couple of them were talking about it. Um, if you were talking about it in terms of, I haven't been able to find one of these, but I really, really want one. And it's like, well, I really, really like money. <laughs> uh, so, you know, let's, uh, you, you, you generate as much guilt inside yourself as you can. And uh, the easiest way to do this is make a donation to the Cerebus download. Just click on the Dave Sim Fund button which allows you to enter an amount and then uh, leave a phone message, uh, 519-576-0610. Don't worry, you're not going to interrupt my work. You're not going to uh, wake me up. Uh, the ringer is always turned off. It's 24-7. Uh, you could, uh, if you decide to do this, you can do it at three o'clock in the morning. You can do it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to hear it. Also, I'm the only one here who does hear the phone messages, so there's no danger of it getting lost or anything like that. If you're one of the usual suspects on uh, on the Cerebus Facebook group, we probably already have your address. Uh, just leave a phone message saying, uh, I, it's Craig or whoever it is, um, and I know you've got my address. Uh, I would like it personalized, please, and uh, I've already paid for it at, uh, at Cerebus Downloads. And then I will either either just sign it or sign it and personalize it to you, and then uh, and they get mailed, uh, Rolly to mail it to you uh, when he comes in on Thursday. So that's really the only delay that you'd be experiencing if you do it uh, if you do it when you when you hear it now. Uh, it'll be Saturday, and uh, it won't go out until the following Thursday. But it will go out the following Thursday. There's no problem with Rolly pulling out the box again, uh, pulling out the best condition copy of uh, uh, Guy's Party Pack, me uh, signing or signing and personalizing it, him wrapping it up, taking it to the post office. Boom, he'll have it a week later. Ironic that there's 21 of them. What is that? Because you got to be 21 to drink. Oh, 
the TA Kickstarter, there's a slight snag with the 75 More Sleeps book, Pieces of Turtles 8, 8.3, and one of the other supplements. Those are getting delivered, I believe, within a week. So those pack if you're getting on those packages, you gotta wait, but those are going out as soon as they come in. Uh if anyone's getting original sketch covers from you or the other guy artist that was on the offer, those are completely not tied into anything else. Like you'll get it, I believe the way it was worded is you'll get everything else and then those will come when they come. Right. And then I, and I actually I actually did those. There was there was five of them on uh on on the sketch cover and uh those all went out as well as um the um the trading cards uh last thursday okay. so those should be arriving in pittsburgh either today tomorrow or early next week at the latest and then the the last day hardcover kickstarter should be going live August eighth. August eighth is that what you say? Yeah, that was that was, last I had heard. That I believe that was the tentative. It was all ready to go. You know, it was all systems ready to launch, type thing. And and the, and that was the date that I remember. So I'm thinking, you know, if I hear different, I'll let everybody know. But yes, the eighth is when it should go live. And I and I think uh, I'm not sure how long Dagan was talking about doing uh, doing the Kickstarter, but it wasn't it wasn't much more than than a week or two. So we're talking about uh, the last day uh, clinching the deal by okay. You're saying the eighth. Add two weeks to that. We're talking uh, the twenty second of this month. This is scary. <laughs> this is absolutely scary for the obsessive uh, Cerebus collector. So I've been posting in the rigmarole. I was I was doing the various versions of the last day and of various you know various descriptions of, of what was going on. And finally, I was just getting tired of you know doing the same thing over and over. So I just it's the last day, and it's with nothing, and it's the link to previews to order the the resolicitation of it uh with an old service remarket it's a link to service downloads and then it was uh with i forget what the third one was but but then but then and and, and it was the last day on the top line and then the next line it was you know quotes under each word so i didn't have to type it again and there's like five of them and the, the last one was as a hardcover and it was a link to the pre-launch page for the kickstarter and and they also have it on the waiver on the service overstock or overload. I always forget which one it is. Uh, overload, overload. Okay, so service overload. They they already have a page on the site to order it after the Kickstarter when the extra stuff funnels through and they're selling it there. So it, it's and I had a link to that for a while. So there's you can get kick you can get the last day in any format you want, any way you want. You just kind of got to look around. And it's all happening August 2023. So thank you, uh, thank you, Mike, for uh, like I said, giving me the the segue into this. Now we're going to get to Mike's question. Uh, dear Dave and the oft-rumored 
Manly Mac. Uh, I read blogs and watch online interviews with other comics creators. Uh, many mention the independent-focused comics conventions as their favorites, uh, like the Small Press and Alternative Comics Expo space uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, can you please talk a bit about that movement and your experience? Uh, I'll be happy to. Uh, I have to say, as soon as I saw the word movement, uh, it's like um, 30 years of, of, of bad vibes flooding back, and it's like I'm, I'm learning to work through this so that it doesn't, it doesn't do that. Uh, the reason that I say that and that I'm laughing and the reason that uh, movement causes that problem is that this was the giant schism that, that occurred in the situation where um, it was Steve Bissett who was calling it a self-publishing movement uh, because that was the way he saw it and in his mind uh, movements are a great idea. Uh, <laughs> I won't make the obvious jokes <laughs> attached to this, but uh, Steve Bissett's definitely over in the uh, the movement camp, where uh, if there's something that uh, that you're doing or you're wanting to do or you're getting people to do, and it's a good idea, and you start getting more and more people doing it, call it a movement so that. Uh, uh, you can, you can accelerate the process. Everyone loves a movement. Uh, somebody who didn't love the idea of a movement and didn't love the idea of calling something a movement uh, was Jeff Smith. Uh, this, this definitely raised his hackles of, uh, I don't really want to be part of a movement. And it's like, this all occurred external to me because it's my take on it was I had been successful at, uh, at self-publishing and, um, I'm, I'm a paying it, uh, paying it forward, paying it back kind of guy, uh, to this day. So that was, that was my side of it. And anybody, who was self-publishing or wanted to self-publish and uh, wanted my help, I was always very emphatic to them. It's, uh, I'll help you when the, when the time comes, and it will come for you if you're successful, you help other people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to charge you a consultant fee. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a percentage of your sales. None of that kind of stuff. It's like, here's the, here's the information, uh, uh, that I have. Here's, uh, here's what I know. Here's my experience. And I'll be happy to walk you through all of it. Um, I remember <laughs> Carol West was still here and, uh, I was trying to get work done and I had been sort of up to my eyeballs, um, with, uh, uh, with self-publishers uh, asking for help. And uh, down in the studio, Carol comes to the top of the stairs and she says, uh, Jeff Smith's on the phone. And I said, uh, uh, ask him what it's about. 
and she goes away for like three seconds and comes back and goes, he says, bone. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yes, very, very good point. It's, uh, I was looking for, you know, give me a, give me a snapshot of what it is that you're asking about. Like, and maybe just relay the answer through Carol. No, this is, this is Jeff Smith. This is bone. There is only one Jeff Smith and there is only one bone. Uh, hi, Jeff. What's up? And then talk for, you know, whatever, 40 minutes, whatever it is that he wanted to talk about. Now, sometimes it was, well, what about, uh, uh, movie? What about, uh, merchandising? Uh, you know, like, uh, uh, have you signed for a movie? But, uh, you know, why haven't you signed for a movie? What, what do you think is wrong with movie? And it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll be happy to answer that. But there's no, there's no short answer to that. But again, all of this was, I'll do this for you. Uh, you do this for others uh, when your turn comes. And um, I, 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 it's taken close to 30 years to get to the point of going, okay, I, I think I can understand a lot of what was happening there that uh, there's only so much that you can do. It's like I'm keeping a monthly comic book on schedule and flying out to uh, 26 different cities on the weekend uh, to promote the book and do interviews and all that kind of stuff and uh, comic store signings and helping all of these self-publishers where it's like, I've already explained this probably, you know, eight times in the last week and certainly uh, 10 times at the last convention that I was at. But and this is the first time that you heard it, so yes, let me let me you know try and you know erase my page or letter the pan, put in the panel borders or uh, spot solid blacks while I listen to you explaining at length. And I already know what you're saying, what you're going to say, um, where it's going to lead to, but I have to be patient and let you you know go through all of that and then say okay A B C D and E. That's all I have to say about it. Those are the options. I pick the, you can pick anyone that you want. And it's like, okay, that, that, that would usually take care of it. Jeff was in the situation of being um, the biggest self-publishing success since the Turtles. And the Turtles had been the biggest self-publishing success since ElfQuest. Uh, Neither of Cerebus was never anywhere near that category, and it is a different category, which is why I, I cite the story of uh, asking what this is about. And it's like, bone, and it's like, right, okay, he's he's Jeff Smith, and uh, you know, I I knew Kevin and Peter not right at the uh, at the onset of the Turtles thing. Uh, I knew Wendy and Richard um, a year into, a year and a half into the ElfQuest situation. It's, it's a much scarier thing. It's a much, uh, it, it's really, really elevated tension. And one of the things that was happening to Jeff was everybody, <laughs> not thinking what this sounded like, was talking about 
right. We have to we have to find the next bone. <laughs> and it's like Jeff didn't want to hear that. We don't need the next bone. We've got bone. Let's work on bone first. And I'm working on bone first. And how does this work? And it's like uh, I could uh, I could help with that, but I could only help uh, indirectly. I wasn't at Mirage, and I wasn't at Warp Graphics, and I didn't see you know the uh, the have a cigar Pink Floyd thing where everybody wants wants onto your boat and everybody's trying to be your best friend. Um, so there was a, there was a specific tension there. And then, uh, I, I came to understand this was why the movement thing bothered Jeff so much because it sounded like, you know, this is starting to take off. I want to do the best thing that I can for this. Um, I want to be John Paul, George and Ringo. I want to be Elvis. Uh, I don't want to get subsumed, subsumed in with, you know, all of these um, second and third stringer people who aren't in that category. And I have this awful feeling that this is what you people are all trying to do is to, you know, let's, let's subsume bone within this quote movement and uh, find a bunch more of these. And it's like, if that had, if I had been at the center of that, I would be saying, that's not what we're talking about doing. It's like uh, ElfQuest was uh, 1978 was when that took off. Um, the Turtles was 1984. And you're, you're not going to find that. You can go looking for the next phone. You're not going to find it in... Uh, uh, in three months, no matter uh, how interesting ways you have beating the bushes, there's going to be years for another one uh, before another one of these turns up. Uh, but like I say, you know, the guy that's that's going through it doesn't doesn't want to hear that. Uh, my experience, um, getting back to the question and trying to explain, okay, this is why uh, movement. Anytime it's attached. The self-publishing Dave Sim goes, oh, God, not this again. Uh, looking at the back cover of Cerebus number 160, if you're, if you're asking about the secret origin of uh, independent focused comics conventions, uh, it was a comic art metaphysics thing, I think, where uh, I didn't create it, but it happened. Um, and it happened... Uh, October of 1992, when I was doing the, um, the Great Eastern Conventions uh, 1992 U.S. tour, which was taking everything that I'd learned from the 82 tour and going, okay, let's let's do this more sensibly. Um, it was uh, Fred Greenberg's Great Eastern Conventions. He was holding conventions in probably. Uh, 15, 16 different cities, and he had gone, uh, let's keep this really basic. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, it's, you want to rate, uh, rent a large size meeting room or a small ballroom at a affordable hotel near the downtown. Um, you want to put in 
30, 40 tables. You want to charge a reasonable amount for them. You want to do a one-day show. Uh, um, they set it up Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, late Saturday night. Convention goes all day Sunday. They're breaking it down by Sunday at 8 o'clock. And wanting to expand that. And uh, I got hooked up with Fred and went, uh, okay, you're in this number of cities, you want to add uh, this, these more cities, you want to add like eight or nine more cities, uh, why don't you, uh, can you do a year's worth of me being the guest? Because that was the other element of the Great Eastern Convention. And I have one guest, and he gets one of the tables, the rest of the tables are dealers. And it's like, we just don't, we, that's, we don't get off message. We don't get off of our game. This is what we're doing. Uh, you know, I can make uh, $2,000, uh, $3,000 a weekend doing this. Let's not overthink it. And I'm going, oh, okay, you're already having to fly in a guest. Uh, if you fly me in to the cities you're already doing and the eight cities or whatever, that, uh, that you aren't doing yet, but you want to do them in, um, then that's all that's all taken care of. I get to uh, piggyback on on what you're doing, and I added added in what I wanted to do to promote service was uh, okay. We'll get uh, the publicity team, Lucas and Levine, that uh, Larry Martyr uh, turned up, and um, uh, they will uh, do the publicity, uh, which they know how to do locally. Here's this guy uh, coming into town. Here's his story. Uh, 300 issues. Service the Aardvark. Blah blah blah. Here's publicity photos, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, send it to all of the local media. Figure out uh, five weeks ahead of time. Okay, this radio station wants you. This television station wants you. This newspaper wants you um, uh, do all of the interviews or as many of them ahead of time as possible. Uh, work the monthly comic book, fly out on the Wednesday or the Thursday to the city, uh, run around doing all of the publicity uh, Wednesday uh, or Thursday, uh, Thursday night, do a comic book store. And uh, after the, comic book store on Friday to another comic book store if possible on Saturday, then to the comic book convention on Sunday, up to the airport, back home, back working on Cerebus on the monthly book. Uh, 20, 26 cities. And um, what happened was Seattle was one of the cities that Fred hadn't done, but went Seattle's a, a great comics town. It's uh, this should be uh, a, an easy slam dunk. So uh, booked the. Uh, uh, it was the. I looked it up. Red Lion Inn, one eight seven four zero Pacific Highway uh, South uh, in Seattle, and uh, like I say, not overthinking it. Exact small ballroom, thirty tables. Dave gets one of them. Uh, we're ready to go. Um, I was doing uh, publicity uh, the Wednesday before the show, 
Uh, we had done the Seattle Post Intelligence Service still being published at that time. You should be able to find a scan of the, uh, the drawing that, uh, that Gerhardt did. I did the service, but he did the, uh, the giant distinctive, uh, spike on top of the Seattle Post Intelligence or uh, the globe, uh, uh, that was on top of the building, Cerebus holding it up. And it's like, it was a full-size piece, which is, uh, this should work. And sure enough, it did. Yes, we want this for the Seattle Post Intelligence Service. We'll give you the whole front page of the entertainment section. Gee, thanks. That's great. Uh, Xanadu, Perry Plush's uh, uh, stores, he had two stores by that point. Uh, one downtown, one out in, in the university district. I was doing those on the 16th and 17th. So now it's the, it would have been the uh, Wednesday, the 15th. Uh, I'm all packed, ready to, ready to go to Seattle. Fred phones and says, uh, I haven't sold a single table and I've been holding off till the last minute, but, uh, even at the last minute, cutting all the prices. Nobody in Seattle wants a table, so I'm not doing the show. But I still have to pay for the room because I've left it too late. You know, uh, what do you want to do? <laughs> I said, uh, 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 well, okay, I'm still coming out there. I still got to do the two Xanadu stores. And I still got to do the, uh, I had like two radio interviews and I had uh, an alternative paper interview that I was doing when I was there. I'm still coming. Uh, I said, uh, I'm going to phone a couple of cartoonists. I think I phoned Gary Groff and I said, uh, uh, here's, here's the situation. Uh, Fred's still got to set up the room. So the tables are all going to be set up. Any cartoonist that wants to come out and set up, you get a free table and, uh, you can sell all your stuff all day and it's just going to be cartoonists. There won't be. There won't be any dealers there. It's another one of those uh, crazy days, some things. And it's like, when's this happening? Uh, Sunday. And it's like, why are you just telling us now? I'm just telling you now because I just found out about it. I'm on my way to the airport. And uh, went there and uh, it's like, I got on the plane. I had no idea. Is is this going to work? Is is anybody going to show up? I know I phoned uh, uh, Colin Upton, the... Uh, uh, Vancouver's uh, mini comics legend and uh, told him, he said, well, I'm going to be there. So I thought, well, at the very least, it'll be uh, me and Colin sitting there reading, reading each other's comic books and, uh, and staring at each other in a room full of uh, uh, 30 draped tables. But uh, I forget how many cartoonists showed up. It was sort of like half of the room. It wasn't the full room, but it was half of the room. And um, in terms of attendees, I think there was about uh, 50, at the peak, probably about 50 people all standing very politely and watching people sketches, doing sketches and finding their comic books and uh, really, really quiet, which was one of the funniest things because it's like, all the cartoonists are really quiet. They're all sitting there doing sketches. All of the, all of the fans are real quiet because they're watching cartoonists doing sketches. And I forget if it was, uh, it was Donna Barr or Roberta Gregory or somebody went, it's so quiet. 
<laughs> and it's like everybody laughed, and I said, "Yeah, we should sing." So you know, there's, there's and it's like, what are we going to sing? I said, uh, "Over the United States, why don't we sing the Star Spangled Banner?" So we all started singing the Star Spangled Banner, and it, it came to a really rousing conclusion. And I said, uh, uh, Colin was there, and I, I yelled down to Colin, okay, Colin, it's our turn, oh, Canada. So Colin and I made our way through, uh, through oh, Canada. And that, that was really the start. That's the earliest one as far as I know, and it wasn't set up as an independent cartoonist-only convention. It was, that's what, uh, what it turned into. And it was like, everybody, when it was over, you know, it was just the one day. We came to the end of the day, and everybody went to the same restaurant. And it's like that was really cool. That that was great. That was that was just us, and all of the attendees had a good time. We had a good time. Somebody should do these. <laughs> it's like, well, no, no sooner said than done. Well, it was a little sooner because it was like 1993 uh, before. The next one was actually intentionally done, but uh, but there you go, um, Dodger. That's uh, that's my reminiscence on on how that that all came about. And um, the same thing when I was telling the story, and I'm, I'm mentioning Larry Martyr um, with his connection to Moon Dogs and Leakus and Levine. Uh, it was Larry Martyr who said um, at the um, Capital City Trade Show in 1993, uh, Jeff Smith um, came over to Larry's table and uh, you know was looking at Bean World, really like Bean World, and uh, gave him whatever it was. I think it was three issues of Bone, maybe four issues of Bone were out at that point, and this was uh, Jeff was on the ropes. It was you know either this trade show does some good. Or uh, something has to do some good because you know I'm not I'm not making money on this and I don't really know how to people uh, how to get people to uh, even know that, that it, this exists and it's like um, Larry Martyr is flipping through it and he's going okay this is this is somebody who who knows how to how to riff on Walt Walt Kelly we we haven't had this before this is definitely a guy who cartoons far above what I'm doing on Bean World, but over in the same category, and said, uh, you have to you have to show these to Dave Sim. And it's like, he goes, okay, <laughs> how do I do that? He goes, well, that's, that's Dave Sim over there with Martin Wagner. They're in front of this, uh, this giant lineup that they've, they've engineered by deciding that they're going to do, uh, do sketches for all of the retailers, which... Nobody had passed a law against it, so consequently, uh, the Capital City Trade Show consisted of a giant lineup for uh, Dave Sim and Martin Wagner, and across from us was uh, was Mr. T, who was doing his Mr. T comic book. So it was a competition as to who would have all of the retailers in their lineup, Mr. T or Dave Sim and Martin Wagner. And Capital City is pulling their hair out going, it's a trade show. They're supposed to be looking at other people's tables, not just yours. So Larry told, told Jeff, uh, you have to show these to Dave Sam. 
he said, just don't stand in the lineup. Just go to the front of the lineup and say, uh, Larry Martin told me that, that I have to I have to give these to you. And it's like, oh, okay, thank you. And took them and put them in with the pile of them. And uh, so that was, that was the situation where, um, you know, the self-publishing, doing a, a table with Mark Wagner, who was doing Epcat and doing the Capital City Trade Show. This was, Martin had already done that and was saying, this works really good. And he was right. It's like I'm sitting there going, this is like the difference between smoking pot and mainlining heroin. These are all retailers. They don't just buy one copy of a comic book. They buy 10 copies, or 20 copies, or 50 copies. And it's like, Martin, get a business card from everybody that comes to the table. Get a business card. And, uh, you know, so, so we can contact them directly. But, uh, you know, Jeff Smith, it, it, he, he wasn't in the middle of that. It was... I really want to do this comic book, you know, like I'm three or four issues into it. And I've managed to persuade Vijaya, Vijaya that this can work. But Vijaya is going, no, I, I, I got to see a business plan for this. It's like, uh, you know, I'm she was working at a computer job, a very high level Silicon Valley computer job. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to, if you're going to not do animation, which is where you're making your money, then you know, I would have to have to see you making money in that kind of, at least in that kind of category. And by the time they're going to the Capital City Trade Show, it's like this is just not working. This is, uh, you know, I sold this many of number one, and then as always happens, half as many of number two, half as many of number three. And uh, why is this happening? Why, uh, you know, it's a good book. Why people are telling me it's a good book? Why isn't it happening? So um, that's the uh, that's the that's the story on uh, on that side of uh, of what was happening there. It's uh, it was all all very interesting happening uh, happening simultaneously and me having to uh, having to sort it all out. And then you know uh, I go out to the airport um, because I was only at the trade show for one or two days. And uh, in the departure lounge, and uh, okay, you know, I've got stuff in my portfolio. I've thinned out all of the loot that I got that I'm not really interested in this, or I can ship this back to Kitchener. And going, well, okay, this is uh, uh, Larry Martyr said that I needed to see this. And if Larry Martyr said that, okay, I did need to see this. Uh, so I'm sitting in the departure lounge, I read. Uh, the first, uh, what I guess, like I say, three issues of bone, four issues of bone, and uh, uh, I'm going. This is really, really good, but can it sell? It's, uh, you know, it's like uh, the same thing. Larry saw this. This is Walt Kelly. This is like Pogo, but it's not. It's not political Pogo. It's uh, it's like Pogo, but Charming. It's just a charming uh, sort of part cartoony, funny animal strip, but it's got foreign in it. And it's like, can this sell? And, who, and the retailer question is all, who do I sell this to? And it's like, uh, therapist, you know, without, if you don't have the Wolverine in there, you know, 
don't really have the connection to the comic book store thing. Oh, I can sell this to my uh, to my my X Men customers if it's got uh, Wolverine on the cover. And then you know, any time, oh, the next time you're doing a superhero. So there was nothing like that involved. So it was like, well, it's it's really really good. I'm definitely going to do a preview of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk it up. But uh, is this going to work? It's uh, same thing. Same thing again that Larry must have seen. It's like Larry never expected that Dean World would you know have a a um, you know, worldwide billion dollar movie premiere. And, you know, it's, it's always been in the category that it's been in. Is Bone in that category or is Bone not in that category? And it's like, no, Bone was whoa, way, way, way above that. It was, uh, yeah, there's no, no connection, no, no entry point that we can see into, uh, the direct market, but just, took off like wildfire because it, it was a lot like ElfQuest that way. You look at ElfQuest and go, uh, comic book fans don't really read this kind of stuff. Well, they read, they read ElfQuest and, uh, and they read Bone, uh, which were again in a different, different circumstance than, uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where it's like, they love Frank Miller, they love ninjas. Uh, this is, this is, this is going to be mother's milk for them. Steve Bissett and Rick Beach always mention these conventions in interviews. In fact, I just ordered some excellent books directly from the rare bit Beach himself. It's one of the cool things about the modern world, connecting directly with creators like the super famous Dave Sim. Uh, no, it's not the super famous Dave Sim. It's, uh, uh, as I say to anybody who says, uh, Oh, you're famous. It's like, no, I'm notorious. There's a big difference between being famous and notorious. I'm sort of, uh, famous, notorious, definitely far more down towards Bean World than anywhere near, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, ElfQuest, or Bone. I appreciate the sentiment, Mike. Uh, the famous Dave Sim, uh, now nah, I, I've seen it famous. I know famous. I'm, I'm not famous. And uh, question, do you still talk to Rick and Steve by phone, mail, or the famous Dave Sim fax machine? Uh, again, notorious Dave Sim fax machine. Uh, people in 2023 do not trust people who use fax machines. If you aren't already notorious for your opinions on gender, the fact that you with a fax machine and aren't on the internet, buddy, you're just asking for trouble. You're, uh, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. Uh, no, my only contact with Rick is when Rick gets a book done, uh, he sends it to me and I read it, uh, usually the, the same day that it comes in, uh, either one of the, uh, part of the Max Mortal um, series, uh, the Heroka, uh, thing or the rare, but I never know when the package comes in, which one it's going to be. And, um, I wrap up whatever is the latest thing that I've got, uh, after doing that and send it to Rick. <laughs> Rick usually writes, uh, eight words 
you know, two days, eight words, Rick Veach, uh, or Rick, Roaring Rick. And, uh, you know, I would, I would write fulsome, you know, four or five paragraphs on the, on the front of a trade paperback. And then I go, why am I always the one doing this? Okay, Rick, uh, if you're sending me your book and all you have to say to me is eight words, well, okay, here's my, my eight words back. And then, so we, that's the situation that we're in. As I said to him, uh, he finally did send a letter after I sent him the last day trade paperback and said, uh, I don't, I, I faxed it I, or emailed it to you. So I don't know if you ran it on, on a moment of service, but, uh, my letter to him was, I think, 35 years after the Creators Summit, uh, what we have to say to each other is, and this is saying to each other, I'm saying this to Rick, and Rick is saying this to me, I think your beliefs and ideas have capital Z, capital V, zero validity, but I will always read anything that you send to me, and I would. I would never want to see you canceled or your book deplatformed under any circumstances, even though I think your ideas and beliefs have zero validity. And I wish we could have some more of that in our world. And it's just, man, I don't know. I spent all the 1990s fighting the, uh, the religious right um, for uh, freedom of expression. And now, I, and since then, I've spent 30 years fighting the lunatic left. It's just, what do you people not understand about freedom of expression for everyone, not just for the people that you agree with? Notice how I didn't take a single breath through any of that. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it, it always boils down to, you know, there's a reason there's an off button on the TV. Right. There's a reason you can, I mean, my, my, my friend Nick, I, I, he has a bookcase in my basement that I call The Massive because it's just huge. I, I, I had two bookcases that were full of his stuff and they were getting full. To the point where they're full and I'm like I'm going to build a bookcase that'll hold all your stuff because I'm he's got an apartment I got a house you know I'll store stuff for him and I and right. my brother ended up having metal bookshelves and, and they fit in my basement where I wanted to build a bookcase they're not quite as big as I wanted it to be but it's close and I it's full it's it's every shelf is full and he still is bringing me stuff and oh yeah can you store this for me yeah I can store it for you and they're I feel this obligation to read whatever he's giving me. And it's like, sometimes I pick it up and I, I read the back and I'm like, I have no interest in this. This can just go on the shelf. And other stuff, it's like, yeah, I want to read Conan. Let's read Conan. And I read Conan and I'm like, eh, it's Conan. You know? <laughs> you really? You didn't? The Robert E. Howard Conan? Uh, it, well, it's the... He's been buying... Marvel lost the rights to Conan in the 90s and it went to Dark Horse for a while and then Marvel got the rights back and they reprinted. Because Dark Horse reprinted all the Marvel stuff and now Marvel's reprinting all the Dark Horse stuff. And Conan has now left Marvel and gone to Titan Comics 
and they're starting their run. But he's he's lending me collections that I believe are col- Marvel's collections of Dark Horse's Conan stuff. And it's not bad. It's just Conan. I mean... Oh, okay. I was thinking that there was, like, books mixed in with this, and you were reading Robert E. Howard's Conan text no, stories. This is... I, I want to because... Like my friend, my friend Kevin, when he was years ago, like I'm gonna read service. Okay, I'm gonna do a column for you for the blog. All right, and I'm gonna do it issue by issue. Okay, and I'm gonna read all the stuff that ties into it. So like he doesn't just read issue one; he reads the Robert E. Howard Conan story that you're parodying in issue one. Right. And I'm going, that's a that's great. How's it going? And like after. 20 issues, he's just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, well, you don't have to read the other stuff. He's like, it's not even that. It's just, I writing a column is getting to be too much. And I'm like, all right, fine. And it's funny, because he was working at the comic book store, and he had guys with him. And this co-worker put a post-it note next to service on it going, did you get your column done? <laughs> right. But, right. I mean, and... You know, I want to read the original Robert E. Howard stuff, but I also know that there's, you know, there there's rough edges to those stories that modern ses- sensibilities will be like, you know, like uh, the story goes, Netflix wanted to do Conan as a TV series or a movie, and the president of Netflix canceled the project because Conan is too uh, misogynistic. It's like. What were you thinking Conan was gonna be? <laughs> right. Like, right. He's a Conan the and I'm not making this up, lady. Barbarian. He's right. not Conan the cuddler. He's not Conan the caregiver. He's Conan the barbarian. The, when they made so you're movies, making you're making the point that you you look at the back of the book and it's it's personal taste. It's. Uh, a lot of times you don't know until you read a book that, okay, that was that was worth it. Um, that's a half hour of my life I'll never get back. Uh, that's, uh, boy, you know, personal taste. I really, really don't like that kind of stuff. It's, uh, but it's freedom of expression. It's, uh, and it, everybody is entitled to it. Yeah, there's, there's never been a comic where I've went, I wish that didn't exist. There's been right. comics where I've went, I wish I didn't spend my money on that. Yeah. There's there's yeah. comics where I've gone, hey, this can go bye-bye. You know, even, even Marvel's uh, biography comic of John Paul II, you know, might not be your cup of tea, but hey, they did it. It sold a bunch. Right. I mean, the classic it sold a bunch that I love is... So there's a book I bought called The League of Unfortunate Superheroes, and it's golden age to modern age, just superhero characters. It was a good idea at the time, but it didn't quite work. And, like, I mean, there's there's golden age characters in there that are just, you know, you've never heard of them because they kind of, you know, it was a, they, they threw it against the wall to see if it would stick, and it very much fell off. But... Right. In the in the modern age, Bronze Age slash Modern Age section is a Neil Adams book called Skate Man. Right. He's a he's a guy who fights crime on roller skates. And it's one of those I read the book and I went, well that's you know, 
whatever, it's an interesting concept, but but then I was at the comic book store, and they had a copy for a dollar in the dollar box, and I'm like, oh, I am buying that. And I bought it, brought it home and read it, and went, yeah, Skate Man, he fights crime on roller skates. Like, you know, you could tell that this was the beginning of, of the next uh, superhero universe, and, and no, no, it wasn't. But right. my local store had Neil Adams come, and and I had, you know, the first time he came, the, he came the first time, and I had him sign my copy of Following Service uh, 9 and my Anything Goes number 3. And he he had such a great experience at the store that at the end of the signing, he said to the owner, when can I come back? And Oh, you told me about that. Yes. Yeah. Right. So the second time he came, I went and I got Paul and Natasha with me and I'm getting the the Green Arrow, Green Lantern Green Arrow print for you and for Jeff and I'm getting my copy of Skate Man signed because when is Neil Adams going to see this book at a signing? Like, no one's going to bring him Skate Man. They're all going to bring Batman and Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and, you know, it's only the hits. And right. he signs, I, actually, because he was, he was, you got one free th- signature and then you had to pay it. So I had Paula get it signed because I had something else I was getting signed. And she, he hands it back to her and she goes, Skate Man. Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> and Neil Adams, without missing me, went, well, we sold 80,000 copies. And I'm just kind of looking at her like, you can have an opinion, but that's the one time you need to not say your opinion. <laughs> when the guy that right. did the book is right across the table from you, you don't want to be like, well, this looks stupid. Yeah. Although, having been on the other side of the table, that does happen. Okay, uh... We've still got uh, Michael R. Uh, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a please hold for Dave Sim without Michael R. Uh, my question, uh, oh, my answer for this month is Reed Waller's birthday, and uh, I have a question for that, but I'm still working on it. That was uh, I ended up uh, having having something else that I had to had to take care of today, so uh, that will be postponed. Uh, the question. That the answer is uh, Reed Waller's birthday. Uh, I, w- I will get to that, Michael. Uh, my question is: I noticed all the pages that were unlocked through Jen's SBOAR 2023 GoFundMe that there were no pages drawn by you that incorporated or bridged the story with you, Emo Dave, Carson, or Jack. Are you going to move away with that sort of interplay? and strictly go full speed ahead with the S-D-O-A-R storyline. Storyline. Um, I haven't read any of it yet, just glanced over it. I'm waiting for the giant-sized ash cans to come up to go back and do a thorough reread. Uh, yes, that was the plan all along, actually, was... Um, uh, I, in terms of trying to attract people's attention and trying for uh, general, general popularity on Strange Death of Alex Raymond. Um, and I've I explained this before that uh, uh, the situation with Jack was uh, this, this book needs some estrogen um, and of a specific kind, which I think the uh, bridging material with, uh, with Jack definitely uh, definitely provided. Um, but the plan was also 
okay, at some point, um, either this works or it doesn't work, and it didn't work. It definitely hasn't uh, attracted a wide audience, and uh, it certainly, you know, again, uh, on the distinction of a uh, scale of one, uh, uh, zero to ten, from Bean World up to Bone, uh, we're probably down around a one or a two. We're definitely far, far closer to Bean World. Uh, so whether that was the situation or it became this uh, raging box office success, uh, the plan was still the same. I'm going to ease away from that because I am trying to tack towards truth, capital T, truth. This is how reality works uh, in my frames of reference. And I want to show you specific examples of it. Uh, I don't mind playing the clown and being entertaining through the first part. Once I'm past this point, and I had an arbitrary mental point of going it's right about here, then I'm not, I'm not doing that again. I, I, I and I'm not doing that anymore. However, uh, I do, I did want and do want to, if I, God willing, I can get to the end of Strange Death of Alex Raymond. Uh, and I'm definitely at the point of either I finish the book or the fin book finishes me. Um, what I, what I would want to do, whatever that is, like let's say that it's, uh, uh, September, uh, 2034 is when Dave Sim finally gets Strange Death of Alex Raymond done. When I know that I'm coming up on that point, and yes, it is just up ahead, and I'm pretty sure I'm still able to work at the level I want to work at, and I know how the last 50 pages go, 75 pages go, I would, I'm gonna, I want to try, and we'll probably have to try through uh, Carson, uh, can we find Jack again? and take pictures of Jack and do the same thing that we did with uh, uh, You Don't Know Jack, where it's, uh, she didn't write the comic book, but we just took stuff from her uh, social media posts and made a comic book about it. But uh, do something a little closer to Strange Death of Alex Raymond, a photorealistic, um, here is, Jack Van Dyke today, and here's the uh, uh, the post game show. Here's here's the here's the epilogue to Strange Death of Alex Raymond, and writing uh, Jack Van Dyke. And uh, I have no obviously because I don't know when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen. Uh, it's impossible to write ahead of time. It's no, it's, it's the point of it will be, how does this resonate? Uh, and I assume it'll resonate in comic art metaphysics fashion. Uh, Jack in that year and the, and all, all having been said on Strange Death of Alex Raymond, and here's the last, whatever that involves, the last 15 pages, the last, uh, the last 20 pages. Uh, I don't, I don't do spoiler alerts because it's, uh, it's so unlikely that I'm actually going to get through this in one piece and that I'm going to be able to do it at the level that I want to do it at. I might as well just tell people 
Uh, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, the fact that I've gotten uh, 15 pages and I'm starting the uh, 16th page of the many deaths of Margaret Mitchell. Uh, oh, you know, don't you want that to be a big surprise for people? I'd love it to be a big surprise for them. The odds that it's actually going to be printed before the 2030s, uh, no, it's, this is a different category of creation. It's, uh, you, you might as well, uh, everybody just crowd in here backstage. And I'm just going to, you know, you don't want to see what's happening in, in progress, how, how I'm making this sausage. Then, uh, you don't, you don't want to come backstage, but, uh, if it's just too much time in between pages and, uh, you want to see the different components. You might as well see exactly what what, what I'm looking at, and uh, that's just the way Dave Sims doing this one. Because it's uh, I can't uh, I have trouble picturing myself living long enough to finish it, and I have trouble picturing myself living for any length of time after I finish it. If I do finish it, uh, I I'm, I'm not working in a in a conventional sense. You know, wait, wait till you hear Chinese democracy. It's like this. Um, this puts uh, this puts Guns and Roses Chinese democracy to shame in terms of uh, how long it's going to take for this to actually uh, appear, if it appears, having started back in uh, in 2008. You'll get there, Dave. You'll get there. No, really, you really you will. Uh, it's uh, I'm I'm fine either way. It's like I I can't think of anything that I could enjoy more than getting up in the morning and doing Strange Death of Alex Raymond all day for twelve hours and then going to bed. And when I'm trying to finance uh, Strange Death of Alex Raymond, uh, doing um, you know, glamorous, like, uh, um, you know, the, the, the manga parodies with, uh, with the cosplay girls, which, you know, uh, Akimbo has, hasn't even come out yet. We haven't even done the, uh, the Kickstarter for it. Who knows? It, you know, that might work. But if I can just get my creative life down to doing those, which is, um, this is, this is the tenor of your question, Michael, uh, are you are you going to move away from that sort of interplay and strictly go full speed ahead? Yeah, it's damn the torpedoes, full speed speed ahead. This is what I'm doing. This is all I'm interested in doing. Like apart from my religious observance, uh, the, <laughs> the rest of the world. No offense to everybody else. It's like you people are just getting way way too weird. Uh, you've let the internet drive you insane. Is, is my personal opinion. So this is fine. It's like uh, everybody's insane, so uh, nobody's insane. Don't really worry about it. Uh, nobody believes anything that Dave Sims says. Uh, but in terms of is there anything that I would like to do in addition to Strange Death of Alex Rank, can I do a creditable version of, uh, of uh, Alex Raymond and Al Williamson? And Neil Adams and Stan Drake. Uh, no, no, I I understand. You know, there's a big music festival going on downtown. It's like I've been to those, and it's uh, no, no, only so many hours of the day 
getting getting one good Alan uh, Williamson face done uh, is more important to me than all of the music in uh, in human history. So we're going to we're going to wrap it up there. And thank you as always, Matt, for your uh, for your patience and all your due diligence. The, the, the one last question we had was Steve wanted to know if you kept any of the number ones for the Six Deadly Sins or the Gold Cover High Society. No. No. Uh, I, I think I might have the Gold High Society, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a hardcover guy. So it was uh, knowing, knowing how happy that would make somebody else. It was... Uh, uh, I, I really can't hang on to this. It's, uh, and uh, uh, Craig, I, I think we can agree, was great uh, uh, chuffed at, uh, at getting the last day hardcover number one. Michael, I'm sorry you didn't get it. It's, uh, I hope you're happy with, you, with what you did get, but uh, we, will, we, will, we will do another deal or no deal somewhere up ahead, and it might just be the uh, box full of clothespins with the word, with the name Cerebus written on them. Uh, Michael did comment after uh, the nightstand item was revealed, saying that he really, you know, he was really tempted, but he's glad with what he got, and he really is, and, he, and he's happy on Craig's behalf that Craig got what he got, and I'm going, yay, happy fandom. Finally. Finally. Every once in a while it happens. I mean, it's Have only a good two. night, Matt. Have a good night, Dave. Take care. You too.